This episode's guest is Pete Burridge. Pete is a first-team athletic performance coach at Bristol Bears and heads up the speed training element of their program. Pete joined the Bears after six seasons working with the Leicester Tigers, having previously spent time coaching at Leicester City Football Club and at Exeter University. Pete holds a degree in sport and exercise science from Luckburg University. On this episode, Pete and I discussed Pete's background and his influences, Pete's model for speed and agility development. I asked Pete about monitoring kinematics, agility development, and I asked Pete about his preseason micro cycle setup. Guys, this was a great discussion with Pete, and as always, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. <laughs> okay, Pete, thank you so much for making time. I really appreciate it. I know that you're, uh, you know, you're in season now and super busy day today. I know you're saying today was a bit of a down day, but still, you know, obviously there's there's also life outside of your your uh, your job or your your passion i should say so i really do appreciate you giving up time on a, a tuesday evening but for the listeners who are unfamiliar with who you are just give us your background yes um pete burridge uh first team athletic performance coach at bristol bears working in rugby uh in england um my background is as a failed footballer um who then went to uni did the sports science degree did an internship, not really knowing what I wanted to be. It was actually a sports science internship at Leicester Tigers Rugby Club. Um, had a really, really great time and a, probably one of the best first years that anyone can ever have in an industry working with some real, real top tip uh, professionals. Um, at that point, decided that, yeah, the crunching numbers was interesting, but where my passion laid was maybe a little bit more front facing and, and coaching. Um, and then, yeah, that led me on a journey from there to um Leicester City Football Club, Exeter University, back to Leicester Tigers for a fair few years. Um and then uh yeah, been at Bristol now for this is my third season. Um so yeah, that's that's, that's kind of my background in in a, in a nutshell. Um but yeah, my, my main passions I, I guess I'm people know me for putting stuff out on speed and, and agility, but like I, I try not to be kind of pigeonholed as just the speed guy. Like I think some of the basic stuff being able to improve someone's conditioning, being able to improve their repeatability, being able to get guys strong, put size on guys is, is also a passion of mine. It's just maybe not quite as sexy on social media at the minute. Yeah, you're you're painting now with that speed and agility brush. That's your niche now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to do a lot to uh, to lose that, unfortunately. But, it's, I, I listen to... I, I sorry to interrupt you. I listened to an interview with Alex Natera with Mike Robertson and, and like Rob, you know, Mike. They were half, like about halfway, or they're well into the interview. And Mike goes, "I know, I know, you probably don't want to hear this, but I'm gonna ask you a question about isometrics." <laughs> and, and like it's just like Natera is like, "I know, I'm tired with that brush now." But I I, I, I interviewed Stuart McGill years ago on, on my podcast. Like uh, this was about ten years ago, and I was like, "Stuart, do you know like people think that all you do all day is like just." brace and plank people and he goes yeah i know he's like that's all i'm not i'm just known as the plank guy that's it he's just there in his office with a skeleton moving it back and forth while guys are doing bird dogs yeah uh, yeah i i hey I, there's there's worse things to be pigeonholed into like again speed and agility is is a definite passion of mine and it's an area that like yeah it's it excites me every time i get to coach it and like tomorrow we have our main sort of agility delivery day and and more power based um gym-based work and yeah it was only last week i just wednesday morning i was like lads i fucking love wednesdays just because this is when we get to do our like best delivery it's just still so i'm excited as excited about it now than i was 
10 years ago. So yeah, like I, if I get tired with this brush for the rest of my career, then I, I can't complain, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to to be viewed as someone that has something that people maybe want to hear from in, in that area. So yeah, I, I, won't, uh, I won't discount that. Well, I'm going to be putting a lot of tar on you for the next hour because that's why I got you on <laughs> to, speak, <laughs> to speak about being the jelly. But before, uh, before we get into the to the meat and the potatoes, as they say, just fill us a little more into going back to your background. What what got you into like why sports science? Was it just because you know you were a football nut or you love sports as a kid and you're like, I think sports science is something I'd like to do? Or what was it that drove you t- towards this profession? You know, sports science initially, and then obviously getting into strength and conditioning, physical preparation, athletic development? So, well, when I was in, in college, I didn't want to do A-levels. Um, uh, again, I know you've probably got international list, listenership. So between 16 to 18, um, I didn't want to do kind of mixed subjects. And there was a, a an option to do just sports science, which was inclusive of maths, um, social sciences, things like that, but all related to sport. That sounded good to me. Um, had dreams of being a footballer, didn't quite make it. And then I was hoping to go to America, study over there, play football for four years and just see what happened. Um, Didn't really even think about applying to universities in England, but just sort of went, right, well, what are the best ones for sports science? I'll put them down. I'm not interested. I'm not going there. I'm I'm going to live the American dream. Um, When when that fell through, it was like, oh, shit. Uh, Just uh, start looking at my UCAS and, uh, yeah, ended up going to Loughborough, um, studied there for three years. Um, Still had... I took maybe to my third third and final year like I was lucky that I got into the industry when I did because now nowadays like you've got to have experience for the experience that you're going to get the experience for and you've got to do it earlier and earlier and earlier whereas for me I was in my final year not really knowing what I wanted to do and just had a conversation with an SNC coach at Loughborough and I was like oh that sounds kind of cool internship position came up applied sort of on a whim didn't really know what I was doing I was just lucky enough to get it and then like lucked into working in one of the like glory eras of Leicester Tigers with, yeah, like I said, like some, some fantastic practitioners that I was able to learn from. And if I'm perfectly honest, uh, no discredit to, to the university, but like I, I probably learned more in, in three months working under some of the guys at Leicester Tigers than I did in three years at university. And so I had a, a great uh, learning experience from both ends. So the experiential learning of like making mistakes and learning at the coalface, as well as, that scientific kind of underpinning like we were speaking to researchers pretty much once a week on a Skype call looking at papers picking them apart and yeah it, it was a, a rich learning environment of of which a lot of the guys there as well gave gave me a lot of time me pestering them with constant questions around why are they doing this why that means this okay why did this person who sounds really really articulate why is he in complete disagreement with this person who also sounds really articulate and really good? And I'm there as a first year practitioner knowing how do I choose between this? I don't understand. And yeah. So that then led me down to the, the sports science route. And then, yeah, I, I think I always had a passion for coaching. I, I was initially a football coach from like age 14. I, I did my badges um, at age 16. So I was maybe quite young to, to do that. So I knew that that was something that I, I wanted to do. Um, and I felt maybe in my in my first year at Leicester, I was like, I know maybe how to coach and the, I guess the the Nick Winkleman language of coaching and how to. But I had none of the background knowledge, so I knew maybe how to coach and talk someone into questioning and 
using constraints and stuff from a fairly early age, but I had no background knowledge. So I could see that someone was squatting poorly, but I didn't know why that was. I didn't have the biomechanical knowledge. I didn't know necessarily the, some of the cues to put together. And um, I probably would say my time at X to uni where you're just coaching, coaching, coaching all the time was where I, I developed and honed those skills where I, I had the coaching direct skill and, and paired that up with the sort of domain specific knowledge of, okay, how do you coach an RDL? How do you coach an Olympic lift? Okay. How do you uh, coach someone to back squat and, and, and things like that? And what, what's the differences with front squat? What, what kind of errors are you looking for? Why would you regress, regress someone to a goblet squat and, and those kinds of things, which I just didn't know. And um, yeah, that, that was a cool journey to kind of pair those things together and like, yeah, help, help me um, yeah, progress a lot as a coach, I would say. Yeah, great stuff. And uh, before we get now into your training system, your training model, and what you're doing currently at the Bristol Bears, what um, your influences? Who would you say have been the biggest influences, a biggest influence on you, both professionally and personally? Great question. Um, I probably would say again, those guys at Leicester. So I have to mention like Alex Martin at, at Leicester um, as a as a mentor was. I would pay thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of pounds to mentor under him because he was phenomenal the amount of time that he gave me and the knowledge of that man and he's he's someone that doesn't really put himself out on social media much but um yeah he's very very good and he's he's now heading up um as the head of physical performance at, at bath rugby and uh, he previously worked obviously at leicester uh, he's worked at loughborough and um uh with england women the the roses uh, and been fantastic and like uh, yeah, both professionally and personally, it's been been fantastic to help me um, through the good times and the bad times. Um, I'd say my current boss right now, uh, Kev Geary, fantastic, like fantastic example of someone that gets both sides, like having to work hard and having the knowledge base and understanding the how it works in the real world and the demands of working in rugby where it's not quite what the textbook says. Um, and also delivering on sort of the personal side of things as well. And someone that I, I'd hope to emulate if I'm ever in a position to, to lead someone that I would want to lead like he does um, and leads from the front, um, but equally has time for his family. And you, you hear so many, so many times guys that um, get washed out of the industry because it ends up being a seven day a week um, <clears throat> job where all of our time is spent at the training ground at the expense of our relationships with our wives and our kids and stuff like that. And like he leads from the front um, and provides a great example to us and supports us to, um, to have lives outside of uh, strength and conditioning. Um, so I'd, I'd say those guys that I've worked with, and I'd say also like Matt Reeves at, um, at Leicester city provided some really good lessons to me. Um, when I was probably high up on that Dunning Kruger curve, where I then thought I knew all there was to know about sports science. And he, he had some really, really good uh, challenges to me of like, okay, is this having impact? What are you trying to do with this cool database that you've built? Like, has it affected anything on the field? And the answers I was left wanting and it was like, right. Okay. Now, that was a big learning of like, I can do all this singing and dancing about my program and it might be perfectly aligned and periodized. And I'm, I'm tracking this and I'm monitoring that. But if it actually didn't affect anything that the coaches were doing or it wasn't delivered well, well, what's the point? Um, so it, uh, those are three guys that probably stick out the most. 
uh, in terms of influences outside of the guys I've worked with, like, again, I grew up following like Joe DeFranco, Eric Cressy, guys like that, that like watching their videos and just reading all I could on, on T nation and, and things like that, like in that sort of era. Um, and then progressed to, yeah, maybe from a more scientific perspective, guys like Stu Phillips, uh, Brad Schoenfeld, JB Moran, um, like Prue Cormie, Rob Newton, those guys from an academic perspective have really, really influenced a lot of my philosophies. Um, I can go on about more in different, different, different topics. Um, but yeah, those guys are like the seminal guys I would say that I go to that like speak a lot of sense uh, in our industry and things like hypertrophy, strength training, the, the bread and butter stuff. And I guess from a speed perspective, uh, guys like Jonas Dodu have been fantastic to to help mentor me. Uh, guys like Les Spellman from an agility perspective, guys like Michael Zweifel, who's maybe not as well known, but he's he puts out some fantastic stuff and he's got some really good thought processes around drill design and how to bridge that gap between the gym, the sort of closed change of direction training into agility and maybe even to the on-field stuff. And yeah, he, he's someone that um, that's influenced me a lot. Uh, and then I'd probably say like the, the coaching staffs that I've worked with over the years, like I think that's one of the maybe unspoken things that people, people usually list off their, their S and C mentors and stuff, but actually working with good rugby coaches or good like domain specific, whether you're in football or whatever, um, who are passionate about, what they do and being that sort of expert novice where you might not have like, again, I don't really have a rugby background, so I can come with it with no preconceptions and ask some of those questions of like, okay, why we do this? Or why would you want someone to do this in a defensive breakdown setting? Okay. What body positions I'm always trying to bring it back to, to my fields are what body positions underpin that. Okay. Why would they need to make those decisions here? Okay. What, why would you want their eyes up here? Why would you want them to scan here? And all of a sudden you start developing those kinds of elements of your of your um yeah tools in your arsenal i guess of yeah i've, I've worked with some great coaches within rugby uh, guys like anthony allen brett deacon uh jamie taylor who, who's like he, he's progressed into sort of our field almost um in in the coaching coaching side of things and like uh, yeah he's always been good to bounce ideas off and challenge me as well as i've challenged him um and yeah some of the coaches that we have now uh, at Bristol were fantastic just to pick up some of their how they constrain some of their games what they want from a from a game model perspective what what are the key things that they want to work on and then how can I add things to that so I don't I don't really want to when I'm doing agility training you don't want to just do what the coaches are doing and do a diluted version of that you want to try and give them something that they don't already get and so it's looking at the training week and going okay where can I prioritize or like hit something that maybe doesn't get prioritized in the weeks, the months. So an example of that would be, it might be something very, very specific, like a uh, an example I, I tend to use that worked quite well last season was um, the skill of diving to finish in the corner. So that's like, like the highlight real play that you see quite often. Um, they might in the training week do that once every couple of weeks, maybe where a situation like, allows itself that they can score in the corner and they've got to evade someone who's also trying to like tackle them into touch and they've got to contort their body and control the ball. Like if you don't practice something, you don't get better at it. And if you don't do it in the train on the training field, you're less likely to do it under the, under the bright lights. So with me, it's then like, okay, well we can do an agility session where we finish with pressurizing that specific skill where they're trying to score in a corner there might be someone with a bag just like providing a little bit of a nudge and i might have a crash mat out so that i'm not worried about guys like landing and then they might end up doing 
in a 15 minute session, they might have, say they do 12 reps. Well, that's almost a year's worth of exposure to that specific skill in one 15 minute warm up. Um, so it's understanding where you fit. Like if, if the coaches were already working on that, then I wouldn't work on that because again, the coaches are going to be the experts and I'm a, a subordinate to that. So it's okay. I might not deliver that in this setting, but then in another setting, I might do that. And I think that comes down to the same in speed training. Like if, if you're able to train at an intensity that regularly exposes you to max velocity, you probably don't need to do a closed additional max velocity exposure so much. Um, but most environments can't guarantee that in most sports. Um, so if I was working in that environment, I might spend a little bit more time, less on just the physical stimulus of a max velocity run and maybe a little bit more around like postural technical work, because I know that they're going to get it on the field in a very specific sense. Um, so I don't need to work on that stim. I know they're getting that later. Um, so I that might spend more of my time on the technical side. If I know they're not going to get that stim in the training week, well, I need to probably backfill that in my training program. So I need to factor that in. How do I get that into my training alongside some of that technical postural work? But I then might have to divvy up. All right, okay, I've got 10 minutes to focus on the stimulus and maybe five minutes to focus on the technical, um, let's say, uh, as an example. Yeah, great stuff, great stuff. So you, you started to bleed into some of the questions we're going to cover now, but that was a great answer on your on your influences. And um, it, to be honest, I really appreciate the because i've had many conversations with colleagues and other guests in the show about that sort of burnout of coaches especially in elite sports so it's great to hear that you have that sort of work environment currently at bristol in terms of that you know relationships outside of work are highly valued and you know being a being able to actually leave the building quote unquote to actually you know make sure you still have a family when you get home in the evenings is, is really really great and refreshing to hear so people we'll move on to um you know, you kind of start touching into it there now, but as I said to you, as we were messaging back and forth, sort of the meat and potatoes will be going into your training model. You know, model seems to be the big word that people use lately, but, you know, your training system. And within that, I specifically kind of want to center around, you know, what do you do from an assessment standpoint? How do you program design? And then what do you do from a monitoring standpoint? And for, I suppose, this conversation, you know, I know we kind of joked that you're tired now as the, the strength and agility guy, but I suppose I kind of wanted to keep that kind of assessment, programming and monitoring towards like speed and agility. And for me, to be honest, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a newbie and a novice with this whole sort of like resistance sprints and load velocity profiling. And I'm just wondering, are, are you doing any of that at Bristol or, and if you are, you know, maybe touching that if you can, but for now, just, you know, go through your assessments, your, your programming, your monitoring. So basically your model and you can you can obviously talk about the strength, the power and strength elements in the weight room too. That's absolutely fine. But I suppose I'm kind of more looking towards that speed agility stuff. Um, but again, if you want to give the whole thirty thousand square foot view, it's it's up to you. I'll try and uh, so first of all, it I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't confess it to be my model. It's it's our model, so that's inclusive of the other staff that I work with that are uh, very very good practitioners, and you'd almost include the rugby program as a whole like again we're, we're a rugby program not not a speed program so um our our job is to to feed into that um and i would say yeah the speed program probably takes up and this is a rough guess a quarter of what our total delivery time is and that's probably high uh, like in pre-season we would usually get two 40 minute sessions to work on speed and agility so some of the contextual work um whereas 
what we would get one, two, three, four, like five hours of gym work, perhaps. So like, if you look at how, like, we're not just, just sprinting and not doing the gym work, like, like I said, like, then that, that's still a larger part of the program. Uh, and then in season, like our, our main speed day is, is Monday. Um, and we have a half an hour session going into a lighter rugby session. Um, but then we usually touch on speed on the Thursday, let's say it's a Saturday, Saturday turnaround on the Thursday, um, for maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes, if you include some of the agility work, it's a bit differentiated dependent on whether you're a forward or a back. Um, so again, we're not talking huge elements of the program, but at the same time, it's probably our, our highest delivery day where we do our most technical coaching. Um, but yeah, I would say starting from the start then in preseason. So I look at preseason this year. Um, we tried to um, split guys off into buckets to just individualize some of our prescription a little bit more. Um, and I guess I should give you background. When I, when I first joined at Bristol, the first preseason that I was there uh, being tasked to do most of the speed work, one of my main things was making sure that um, we had the basics nailed. So we spent most of the preseason doing very generic, not very individualized work. And I, I still think that that for the, for most team sport athletes is where you need to be spending most of your time. Like it sounds great to bucket guys and have super individualized work, but the guys just don't have a high enough training history within speed training to be that good. It'd be the same as having a 18 year old fresh out of school guy and doing like banded squats into chain work, into pat French contrast. You're like, five five squat bench chin is probably going to get you just as good a results so in the same way as the speed training like for most guys that haven't been exposed to good quality speed training just doing the basics is going to get you most of the results and so we we had a whole preseason uh two years ago um where we did a lot of just generic work just setting out our stool of what our technical model was and just relating it back to those messages over and over and over again and then giving them regular exposure in season so that they could handle regular exposure to max velocity, regular exposure to acceleration based work, um, going at full tilt. Um, and so this season it was like, right, I think our playing group as a whole is ready for more specialized work. Um, and also we wanted to leverage some like more of our coaching staff. Like sometimes it felt a little bit like I was the, it was my fault really. I, I was doing too much of the delivery and everyone else wasn't really sure where I was going with it and they ended up being a bit more of a passenger and you don't, you never want to be that when you're on, on floor coaching. So I wanted to involve all of our staff coaching and we, we're lucky to have quite a large staff. So we were able to split our groups into what ended up being four groups really. So we had three, uh, three main groups and then a remedial group. That remedial group was any new starters that we had no idea what, what, like how much exposure they had to speed training and the guys that, you know, like either, injury risks or like tendon issues where they can't really do two exposures in the same day where um, you're asking them to kind of hit the ground hard and then resting and then having a rugby session where you want them to go hard again. So with those guys, it was doing speed training without doing speed training. So it was, it was, it was quite tough to, to program for that group, but it was trying to replace the max velocity stimulus with maybe doing six second efforts on the watt bike. Again, you're getting none of the ground reaction forces, but you're still maybe getting some of the RFD development. 
you might be doing some of the postural hip lock work that like if you're down the Franz Bosch line of thinking, you, you might be getting some of that that takes away some of the impact, but still generates and solidifies some of those postures that you want them to get into. Um, so they would they would do that. And then you have three other groups. So you'd have a stiffness group, a physical group and a technical group. Um, and then it wasn't that they spent all of their time doing one and nothing else. Like one group wasn't just doing plyos and not running. And another group wasn't just doing drills without doing anything else. It was a blended approach, but biased towards their, their technical, their, um, their area. Um, in terms of trying to decipher which guys went into which group, um, that was a off season task of myself, um, where like, we're, we're lucky that we film pretty much every single week. We film them do a 10 meter acceleration and a full 40 meter acceleration. So we get video at, acceleration and at the top end so we get good quality footage filmed with uh in high frame rate uh 240 frames per second so we can go in, in good slow-mo we've got dots down so we can standardize our uh, our timing gates but we also have dots down to standardize where we put the camera so the footage is consistent uh, which then allows me to go through fucking shit loads of footage um but we start to get a better picture on guys. So I'm not then guessing based off of a one-off snapshot where I thought he may be really good at this or maybe bad at that. I've got two years worth of worth of data um, to look at guys. Um, and we I, I broke it down. First of all, what I wanted to do was take the numbers out of it and probably bias some of the more qualitative stuff. So the video. So I sat down, watched them accelerating, watched them at top uh, max velocity. What do I see? And I had a binary scale. So is there any obvious um, stiffness loss? Uh, is there any obvious deformation of limbs? If you get a, a one or if you get a one in that, then you might be ending up in the stiffness group. If there was obvious cast out, obvious backside mechanics, butt kicking, uh, obvious um, what the other obvious torso deficiencies. So like um, looking at the pelvis, if their pelvis was really anterior, anteriorly rotated that might then lend you into the technical group. If you really struggled to project, you really didn't get yourself into good uh, shin angles, you really didn't really go anywhere, you didn't get any push off the ground, that led you maybe into the physical group. But that was a one zero process. And then I would write like in a little text box in Excel, okay, what were, if I was coaching them right now, What's the main thing? Because they might have 10 things they need to work on. They might have ones in all of the boxes, but what's their main thing that I think is going to have the most impact? And I would write that down. It might be like, right, okay, he's really, really casting out. So that's limiting his ability to attack back underneath himself, which is then going to limit his second, third step, which is also limiting his ability to transition. Uh, so that might mean he spends too long on the ground, which then is going to mean he's slower in acceleration. Right, cool. So his thing is focus on the cast out, which then also helped down the line when I sent this to the rest of the coaches, A, the players were in the in the groups, but B, their player groups that they were coaching, they already had key work-ons without them even turning up for preseason yet. So it, it helped prime that kind of coaching environment. Um, so we did all of that to, to begin with um, and then looked at some more of the data side of things. So we did some of like Johan Lati's uh, kickback scores. Um, so that's where you freeze frame them at um, is it a toe off and touchdown, I think it is. Um, and then you, you take their their angles and then equals a score, a lower score is worse. And that kind of quantifies someone who's butt kicking really, or running with quote unquote backside mechanics, which as most sprint coaches will tell you, it's not necessarily that front side is the be all and end all, but you, 
as a whole, as a heuristic, being more front side dominant and getting more front side lift is going to allow you more space to attack the ground, which allows you to more t- uh, m- you to put more force into the ground, which is going to allow you to travel further in a horizontal direction, um, which is going to allow you to be faster. So we were able to quantify that. So that then maybe picked out a couple outliers where maybe I'd been 50 players deep in an off season and I've maybe not quite uh, picked up something where it's like, okay, oh yeah, let, let me go watch this footage again. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. Or maybe that was, no, I disagree with the data here. So actually it might be a technical deficiency, but he still needs to be in the stiffness group because that might be the, his thing that I think he's going to improve at the most. Um, so we picked that up. We'd also have um, uh, RSI scores so that was done off of a drop jump. So that helped um, guys who were really, really poor. That tended also to be guys who, when you watch them at top end speed, they get a lot of deformation. So that was quite nice to link those two things up. Um, what was the other things that we had? Uh, we were going to do a, a glute ISO score. Um, so that was some of James Wilde's based work, but we didn't really end up doing it. Um, but it'd be something that would be interesting perhaps to see if that correlated with guys who struggle to project and maybe are in that physical group. Um, but you could usually, without even going through the data, like some of our younger academy guys that still needed to put um, put on size and get stronger, tended to be in the physical group. They just couldn't cast the checks to um, get themselves into the deep shin angles and the, the more projective torso position. So you could probably, without any knowledge or looking through the footage, you'd be able to group most guys into that. You, the kind of big, hefty second row that's got a big engine, but has got completely flat tires and just sinks and into the ground and smushes rather than pushes. Um, they're quite obviously going to land in the stiffness group. You're going to have the the like back three player who's always been really fast and he's super fast twitch, but you can just see from looking at him, he walks around with his butt sticking out behind him. And you know that when he runs, he's going to be almost he- like kicking the back of his head. You're like, yeah, that's pretty backside. We're going to probably want to work on getting him a bit more front side to uh, make some improvements there. So yeah, that, that was how we grouped roughly um, the guys, but then equally I would say like, it wasn't a, a cut and dry process. There were some logistical challenges where if one group had only five guys and another group had 20, you were looking in that group of 20 and going, right, okay, how can I squeeze you into the stiffness group? And like, just to try and equal it out so that the coaching, um, there was parity there. Cause you don't, you don't want to just have like, you've individualized for one player, but then you've got 30 with another coach that doesn't work either. Um, so yeah, that, that, that would be how we, how we grouped it in preseason. Um, one of the other um, data points that we looked at, so we force velocity profile guys. Um, so we did it using JB Moran sheets because we we run 40s pretty much weekly. So we had gates at 0 to 5, 5 to 10, 10 to 20, 20 to 30, 30 to 40. Um, so we had enough data there to differentiate between our guys. Obviously, you've got the... Um, the start difference, like most forced velocity profiling is going off of the very first initial movement. Whereas for accuracy through the gates, we would start with, I think it's a 55 centimeter um, lead in um, to stop the, the gates getting broken early. So JB was really, really helpful um, with his sheets and adapting them so that they worked for our environment. Equally, that meant that maybe some of our data wasn't comparable to Les Spellman with his NFL guys or somebody else but within our group we knew that it at least worked for us 
Uh, and then, yeah, we rank guys on their like uh, F0 score. So that was usually where we, if someone was really poor at that, um, they would, they would f- like f- fill in into the, into the physical group. Um, that's something that this season we want, like we, we're lucky enough to have some 1080 sprints to um, use those units to perhaps get some more accurate data on that. Um, it's done pretty instantaneously with their software um, to maybe look at some of the improvements and track that a little bit more regularly. Uh, it certainly saves me a bit of time punching in the numbers into the spreadsheet that um, almost breaks my Mac when I, when I run it, because there's so much, num- so many numbers involved. Um, but again, we weren't driven by that, but it was just something that was interesting. And a case study I have is we've got one guy who by all accounts, most of the guys in the physical group are the guys that don't have the engine. Um, but uh, one guy had the engine, big glutes, could produce loads of force uh, vertically. Um, but when he was asked to produce force horizontally, really, really struggled. So he was really high in his CMJ scores. When it came to his acceleration, he was really poor. And that came down to a couple of technical uh, deficiencies um, and a few other little bits. Um, but for him, it was like, right, okay, you need to go to the physical group because that physical group usually are do, uh, doing a little bit more resisted sprint work and that resisted sprint work tends to be at higher forces. So then you're hopefully going to get better uh, F0 scores. So that was one metric we might look at. Uh, and then your RF, so your ratio of force, so how much of that force is horizontal, hopefully looking to improve that. Uh, again, a lot of his force, he just that, the accelerator that just pops straight up doesn't drive at all. Uh, and that, that's something that we were working on with him. So that sometimes we might not be able to pick out everyone, but it might help pick out one or two of the outliers that having that data to maybe back up what your eyes are seeing or what your eyes maybe not seeing can be quite valuable. Um, so yeah, we would then encapsulate all of that, split the guys off. And then in pre-season, we would then have two 40, 40 minute sessions of which we would then differentiate that to, so we follow the process of, of prep, perform and play. Um, so the prep would be, and all of this would be integrated. So the, the prep would maybe integrate with some of the medical staff. So they would lead, some sprint specific yoga for say eight to 10 minutes prior to that session. And then we would then lead into what would usually be an education component uh, to set the scene of what the main theme of the session was. So um, that might be like, we're lucky enough to have a big screen in our barn. So like that might be me with a PowerPoint presentation, just sending one message or going through a clip from the footage that we'd recorded last week of someone doing it well or doing it poorly. Um, That would set the scene. Then they'd split off, um, to do some more of the drill based work in their individual buckets. Uh, that would be the like perform section, which is usually mostly SNC led and only SNC led. Um, again, doing whatever it was. So like the physical guys might be doing some like banded hip projections into some half kneeling accelerations, finishing off with some run rocket, heavy resistive sprint work. The stiffness guys might be doing some low level ankling into some bounds, into some rolling fly runs. And that might be what they're working on, et cetera, et cetera. Um, That would be around about 15 minutes of the 40 minutes. And then we would get to the play section. And so this would usually be where we start integrating with the rugby coaches. It would still be SNC led, but the rugby coaches would be able to provide input. So that would be where it starts to go from very, very general start to more and more specific. And even within that play section, which would be anywhere between 10 and 20 minutes, we might start off being quite general where we might do some max velocity sprints 
or some arc runs, maybe with a ball. So it's starting to be a little bit more specific, but there's no decision-making. There's not really a lot going on other than the actual stimulus to right at the end scale of that might be some like two V ones or a kick chase into a three on two and then decision-making around, okay, are you trying to take space? Are you trying to make space? What kind of weapons are you using? Are you using cuts and uh, steps or curves and swerves? When would you use one? When would you use the other? Okay, what's going on with your ball transfer? How is that affecting what you do? Can you get your fend out or not if your ball's in the other hand? Okay, how are you setting up a defender? What's your entry speed? Um, if your entry speed is really high, what decisions would you maybe bias towards? How much space do you have? Where's the defender coming from? How easy is he to step? What's his speed? Like, are you going up against a very fast defender or a very slow one? So like, are you spotting a prop on the edge where that's a mismatch if you're a back, hopefully? Um, so that might be then where, right, okay, you don't need to square him up and try and step him and do some outrageous move. Just straight up gas is probably going to get you through the hole and he's not going to catch you. Again, if you've caught the ball at the line and you don't have any entry speed and you've, you're faced with some line speed, well, curves and swerve aren't going to work for you. You're going to need to use some deception. So that's where, again, the cuts and steps are going to be more, more valuable. Um, but equally, you can, and this is usually happens when you give guys the freedom where the coaches are maybe in the back seat. What do they try and do? They they end up, everyone's Cheslin Colby doing eight different steps and they've not moved anywhere. So it's like the uh, doing the ladder drill when in reality, you're just going to get boom. So uh, one of our cues to the guys is, again, the only bad decision is indecision. And uh, when we start hearing like we said, like the sewing machine feet where their feet chop, 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 and they don't actually put their foot in the ground to actually go anywhere. We don't want that. So it's okay. If you are faced with that situation, use some deception, freeze the defender. As soon as you spot that cue, foot in the ground, go and apply what we've done in the previous 30 minutes in the resisted sprint work. And that's when you get a chance to, this is still your speed session, but that's now your chance to apply it into a real world setting and put your foot in the ground spin the earth, tear the turf, whatever your, um, your cues you want to use um, to really, really get going and get into that space. Whether you take the hole and you run it in from 50 or not, but at least find a weak shoulder or get game line, which again, depending on whether we were working with forwards and backs would then dictate also what sort of things we were working on. So if we're working with back three players, we are probably giving them more entry speed. We're working them in larger areas. Whereas for our props, it, it's unlikely they're going to be faced with that situation. So we're probably exposing them to closer quarters, multiple defenders in their face where it, success might look like they just dipped their shoulder and they still got hit with a bag or they've been two-handed touched, but they found a weak shoulder to maybe get an arm free for an offload to keep the ball alive, which again, linking to the way that we like to play the game, we play a very open style of rugby um, where keeping the ball alive is a key part of our of our rugby rugby way in our model so that helps linking that in and then working with the coaches they light up when you're talking their language but then it's it makes me light up when they start to say a few things that you might be working on so an example of that would have been um going all the way back to our prep section of uh of our session where we're, we're wanting guys to get into a into a good shin angle position why so they can project uh, a key thing there, we talk about getting into a loaded position. So loading their hip up. So that first step isn't just them using gravity to fall over. It's actually pushing and projecting with that first step. 
So talk loads and loads about get loaded, get into a loaded position so you can fire out of a cannon, those kinds of, uh, of words. The coaches hear that, they hear me talking about this. And then when they're doing a, a drill in, in defense, they're talking about lads, you need to get into a loaded position so you can fly off the line. And that's really, really cool because then you've got that closed loop where they're working on a very specific rugby skill, flying off the line, getting line speed so they can get up and bang someone but they're using something that that we've worked on in terms of the biomechanical positions and postures to enable that to happen. So from, from my perspective, that that's something that like really lights me up and is a strength of, of the Bristol bears environment and that we, we aim to work that integrated. Um, so yeah, that, that would be where we would sit from a preseason perspective. Um, and that would be the format that we take. I and mean, it would, it would maybe become a little bit more, specific later on in the preseason it would be maybe a little bit more general early on in the season um and the coaches would maybe get more and more involved as we got closer and closer to where the games came um and then in season the monday is a lot less integrated it's snc led um but that takes the same format they um have yoga to begin with so that they um get length through their hamstrings through their calves they activate their glutes etc um then they come in brief education piece uh, again to set the theme of the of the session that might last a minute or two uh, then we have 10 minutes of prep work where at the minute we've split not into buckets but we might come back to that uh, we've gone more generic again uh, where we've gone with our our gym groups so like again we have a player watch system so that I look after a set player watch uh, another coach looks after another set player watch um, in the gym and so then the way we've split this at the minute it allows me I know exactly what one player has been doing in his power work, in his strength work. And then when we come to do our speed work, I'm then across that as well. Um, but we might split again to, to work on individual buckets down the line. But right now it's just, I look after my guys and my job uh, is to make sure that no one's drifting too far, like is not doing stuff that's way, way out there. Um, but we allow that scope then for coaches to do what they feel is right for their players. Um, so we yeah, have 10 minutes of that which is maybe more of the technical focus work. And then we finish with about 10 to 15 minutes of stimulus focus work where we would usually get uh, timed through uh, through gates, 10 meter acceleration, timed through gates, 20 meter acceleration, timed through gates, 40 meter acceleration. And all of those things are filmed. Um, so that then takes our process where on a Monday they will do that. Um, and then I'll then trawl through that footage. And then if I can, if I'm not needed out on pitch, um, I'll then try and go through that while they're out on pitch. Um, and then when the player comes in off the field, hopefully in their WhatsApp, they'll have a little video with maybe a cue that we've been working on. Like, okay, you, we really, really wanted to work on your switching here and getting off the ground. Look at how much better you've done in this video. This is what good looks like. Excellent. That led to you running a PB in your 10 meter. Well done. Or, okay, can you see here how we talk about um, upper body silent, lower body violent at top speed and, and how fast can you run while staying relaxed? Look at you. The, the lads have given you a bit of shit about being slow and you've started to tense up and you've started to chase the line and you've got tension in the system, which is leading to bad mechanics. This is what good doesn't look like. And I need you to focus on staying relaxed in the environment where guys are trying to give you shit and just focus on you. Then we nail the posture and then we'll eventually get the power. That's why you ran 0.1 seconds slower than you did last week done solidifies that learning it closes the loop um and then yeah adds another layer so it's not just they've ran they've got the stim it's then they know that 
we're trying to get them better and they've got their work ons and I've got a big spreadsheet with, okay, X player is working on this. So when I'm sending in the clips, usually it's in relation to, okay, like we've been working on your projection for weeks and your trainings match that. Look at your projection here. Is it good? What could you do better? And then you, you then get also to, to check the player's understanding because it's all well and good me knowing it and being able to say like, oh yeah, it's all about projection and attacking back and taking off like a fighter jet in acceleration and then just saying the words, but actually knowing what that means and being able to challenge them that way, which is tough to do when you might be, you might have a group of 40 lads in the, in, in, on the field at once. You can't go into that level of, of depth and secondary questioning. Whereas when you've got them one-on-one, you might be able to do that and they might be more willing to give you answers as well because they, they're, they're not afraid of speaking up and being wrong in front of a group of 40 of their peers. Um, don't get me wrong. Like there's not everyone is that bought in, but there are some guys and there's a guy today actually popped in. We just ended up having a half an hour chat. We just got his footage up, looked at it, compared it to prior, prior weeks, prior months, and I ended up sending him a clip of uh, him taking some space in the game. And I was like, look, I think actually you're technically very, very good, but you're running way more confident. And that confidence is coming from, Again, how hard you're attacking the ground. Like he, he's had some problems, some injury issues that maybe meant he wasn't really going at top top end and really going at 100%, which was limiting his speed scores, which was feeding that loop of I'm not running as fast, which then fed the loop of when he was in the game, he'd spot some space, but maybe wasn't hitting it and attacking those lines with as much conviction, which is then closing the loop again. I'm slow. I'm not as good as I was. Uh, and then preseason, he's been a lot better this year and like it's starting to show on the field. And, that's the bit that like again the big challenge that I sometimes get is like okay you do all the speed work but it needs to be able to transfer to to the field and that's where I feel it really is transferring where he's getting that confidence because he feels he's running fast he feels he's got the confidence to actually l- drop the hammer and run fast that's allowing him to see some space when he's on the field and go I'm backing myself I'm taking that hole he's running with intent running with conviction and lo and behold, he's getting positive results and that's feeding that positive loop now. So yeah, I, that's the stuff that really gets me excited that speed training isn't necessarily just who someone's GPS scores or someone's 10 meter times. It's a, it's a lot a lot bigger and a lot more um, involved than that, I would say. Um, so yeah, that, that would be in season. Uh, and then that would be the Monday. And then on the match day minus two, we would usually do a little bit more resisted speed work so that would be where um, sometimes you might just pick a same load. Everyone's on level 15 on the 1080 and it's just a, you use the feedback to drive intent. So you get a score, I get a score. We've got leaderboards. I bet you can beat me. I bet I can beat you. No, I bet you can, etc. cetera. Um, and that drives intent, which is half the battle. Um, and then other points in the year, we might be a little bit more individual where we might go into some more load velocity profiling into looking at, okay, like what does someone need? How does added load affect one guy that might not affect another guy? And then being a little bit more prescriptive there. Um, all of that sounds great, but we probably don't do too much of that. Like that, that's one of those that you deliver at a UKSCA conference and it sounds amazing and everyone's going like, this is brilliant. But in reality, that takes up a very, very small amount of what you do. Um, we, we probably at this stage, at least very general in our prescription, uh, and focused on just driving the full intent and hoping that that gets most of our, our stimulus. And then we coach alongside that. Um, but yeah, l- later in the year, definitely we, we will start being a little bit more individual, 
um, and maybe looking at, okay, what's someone's force velocity profile? Okay, do they need to spend a little bit more time either going very, very heavy or actually they might need to do some stuff that's maybe a little bit lighter um, and maybe even again use, utilizing the 1080, actually doing a little bit of assisted speed work where they're getting over speed. Um, we've experimented with that a little bit, maybe haven't haven't gone in too much depth, but that's certainly a tool that, that we can use if, if we want it. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll do that on the match day minus two. And then the backs will top up that session with 10 to 15 minutes of, of agility, which is the bit that they would it'd be very similar to the play section that they would do in preseason, uh, where again, they're working on, um, yeah, change of direction, agility, decision-making, uh, and that's usually used as a bit of a primer going into a fast unit session. Um, so like we want guys to have a bit more vibe. We want guys to have some competition and that's where, um, yeah, you utilize some of the personalities you've got within your group where, um, yeah, you're trying to get uh, a positive vibe so that they go out into the session, like firing on all cylinders. There is coaching going on there. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm not just a performing monkey, but, um, uh, yeah, that, that would be where I would maybe take a bit of a back seat if I know uh, he's maybe made the wrong decision there or actually his body position, he needs to be his foot a bit further outside his centre of mass. At the end of the day, we're two days out from a game. I want them feeling good and rocking and feeling like I, I want to feed them so that they go into Saturday going, I can step anyone I want. I'm going to take any hole that's there. and I'm going to finish any any uh, chance that I get given. So that, that's where the psychology comes into it and maybe affects some of the coaching delivery. Um, so that's in a nutshell, what we do from a speed philosophy um, assessment and programming. Um, we, we do monitor, we obviously monitor the, the speed times and the more qualitative stuff weekly so that we would probably bias more of that than any kind of, um, yeah, like force velocity monitoring or yeah, profiling that way. We, we would always just look at, Look at the video probably is where I bias more of my um more of my decision making off, I would say. Yeah, so you, you answered some follow-up questions that I was gonna have in terms of the, the low velocity profile. So you already ticked that box. Just with regards to the the monitoring there, so every week uh, and you're watching video, are, are you are you using some type of um are you using some type of system to to give you like feedback on the the kinematics of of each person's sprint like so like you know like something like jonas's app or like are you yeah. doing that every monday or so like and, and getting that data profile of each player you know saying like here's your projection angle now and here's the separation in your hips and and here's your you know here's your 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 drive index and now here's your you know your ground contact are you looking at that so basically are you looking at both kinetic factors and also the kinematic descriptors of movement on each person week to week and being able to give like you were saying you whatsapp the video are you giving that much detail to them or or is it a case if you are doing that you, you, maybe you're getting all that detail but then you kind of water it down a little bit to, to, you know you give it them sort of what they need to know type thing uh, the short answer to your first question is no no i'm not i'm not doing that but you pretty much answered me there yeah like it, it's something that is a project that's going on in the background but maybe not with most guys just because like with something like speed that can that shouldn't really require conscious thought like because it's too reflexive it's too quick it's happening too fast as soon as you start showing them too many numbers and too many like scientific details you lose the player um so i'm 
a lot that's one of my big learnings that I've developed is being very aware of the message you're sending a player because you can equally fuck up a guy as much as you can change them positively. So, and also knowing the player as well. So like if you've got someone who's super analytical and you give them a video from binary that shows their hip projection distance on their left side is slightly down compared to their right. And they're feeding in like, Oh yeah, actually my left side after my Achilles that I did five years ago that I've never really recovered from that. And you're adding doubt into their mind and someone can then start to look, Oh, actually, maybe, maybe my, my toe does need to snap. And like they're getting too far down where sometimes you just need to cue them. Just run fast, just run as fast as you can think less, do more. Um, like, uh, one of my, it doesn't work with many guys cause I don't think they like the film as much as I do, but, uh, the, the film Last Samurai, there's a quote in there that um, where Tom Cruise is learning how to fight um, with a sword where one of the Japanese guys is like, uh, too many mind. And that, that sticks out in, in my head is like, sometimes it's, it's too many mind, it's too much going on up here and it needs to be more from shoulders down. Like it just needs, the body just needs to to guide that and the, and the brain will follow. Um, so yeah, we do do that sometimes. And don't get me wrong, like uh, Jonas has been a great help with some of the analysis that he's done with, with some of our like, project players that um, we might need some deeper level of analysis. Um, and it's certainly not squad wide. Like I, I, I'm i very pick and choosy with like today. I've gone through the footage from Monday and today's Tuesday. So the day after uh, I've probably sent seven messages to players. I've gone through the footage and I might have looked and I've gone, OK, that's fine. Or there's nothing really of, of note that's going to have impact. I don't need to send him a message on this player's down day. Next, move on. A, it saves me hours and hours of work. And B, there's no point. And this is where the uh, Matt Reeves sticks out in my head of like, I could I could do that for all my players and be up late at night doing it and send it out and it'd be amazing. But then the player would be like, whatever. Yeah, cool. Thumbs up and not even, not even check it. And it's like, I've spent half an hour analyzing this for no impact. So it's, I've got to pick and choose my guys that are keen to learn. So like if someone's not interested in speed training, they ain't getting analysis <laughs> um, until they show that they are, or they are keen on it. Then they start getting it back. And then, and then I try and hook them in and that might be a, a tool that I might use. It might be, okay, I'll do a little bit of data analysis. Okay. Now you're asking more questions, right? Now we can go in a bit deeper. Um, but yeah, of those seven, I think I did two, um, bits of analysis where I used OnForm, which is a very, it's a free app, but like it's pretty rudimentary, but it can draw angles, but that helps. So if I've maybe, for example, a guy today, I was talking to him about shin angles and how he pretty much lost a shin angle after the first step. And, he, and his shin angle was really, really upright because he's casting out um, and he's popping upright. So that just helps show that picture of, look, shin angles, here's the angle. It goes from 64 to 75 on your second step to 84 to 87. Once your shin angle is at 90, you're going to be, it's going to be really, really hard to continue to accelerate. And you're hitting this point at your fifth step. So, right. This shows to you why shin angles are important. Here's the video or the picture on, on form. And then I use uh, an app called superimpose X where you can put multiple pictures at once. So it's easier for him. So he doesn't have eight photos. He's just looking at one. All right, he sees it. Cool. That's the message. Done. Don't need to do any further level of analysis. Now I'm just shin angles. I'm looking at it. And it may be in eight weeks' time if he's doing something really, really well. And I found, yep, yeah, look, you're, you're not casting out. You're attacking back underneath yourself. You've got better shin angles. Here's the data to prove it on form. Now it's 45 
52, 64, 75, and you're growing your height smoothly, that allowed you to run faster than you've ever ran. That closes the loop of, look, here's where you were, here's where you are, improvement, good. And that, again, solidifies learning, but also increases the buy-in. So I'd love to say that I analyze everyone, but I'd be, I'd be lying. Like, And again, I, I pick and choose based off of what else I've got going on. Like Again, if I've got another project going on, I might only look at, I might look at the footage and scan through it very quickly, or I might quickly look for the one guy that I need to work on and I'm finding his clip and I'm ignoring everyone else because I'm rammed with other work. Um, so yeah, the practicalities come into that, into that too. Like, um, but yeah, like, and I know Jonas is working on some really cool stuff with, uh, using like AI to do it for you. Um, but again, I think the key thing here is, is that you can have these things to pick this data out for you, but is it relevant? Is it going to impact anything? Is it going to affect any change? Like you can have everything on like, yeah, your, your hip projection distance, but is that a relevant cue when you might be focused on something else or is it just white noise in the background? And I think this is the something with, with forced velocity profiling that uh, I think Peter Wayne said when he was on the Pacey, um, on the Pacey podcast, like sometimes you can get quite caught up in these esoteric numbers and it takes you away from the key thing, which is like the athlete moving in front of you. And I think I've used to use data as a bit of a crutch. And now I use data just to inform and back up some of the things, but I'm always using my coaching eye first. And, and if they don't marry up, Sometimes I might go, oh, the data doesn't show what I think I'm seeing. I'm not so sure that my message is right. I might not send it to the player. I might be like, I'm just going to park that, save that. And then I might then, it might be in the office. We're just chatting through a player. Like, what are you seeing here? Like, do you think he's this? Do you think he's that? Or then it might go higher up the chain. And you know, I'm lucky to have guys that like are way smarter than me when it comes to speed, where I might go, oh, do you mind just looking at this bit of footage? I'm seeing this. I'm thinking this is the bit that I need to improve. What do you think? And they either go, no, like you're focused on the wrong thing or yeah, exactly that. That would be where I would go. I think I would use this intervention. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to go. Perfect. Now that might then go live to the player or I might just do it in the background in a coaching session where I'm like, oh, I know I'm primed. I know he needs to work on this. I'm going to give him this cue or I'm going to work on this with him. Um, so yeah, like, it sounds great using all the data, but in re in reality, like the practical side, again, we've got close to 65 athletes um, split across two coaching groups. Yeah. Like you're not going to get through that level of uh, level of detail without an army of um, people uh, going through the footage. No, that's great. That's a great answer. And it's uh, kind of, uh, you know, exactly where I wanted you to go with that. But uh, just specifically yourself though, are, are you, are you looking at, are you regularly looking at every guy's mechanics week to week? Or is there, again, are you kind of like, I suppose, again, because you've built up a database with, with some of the core group of players that have been there now a couple of years. So is it more so, again, that maybe there's this core seven that you're kind of focusing on? It's there. It's those seven players that you're kind of, you're going through their sort of, you know, their video more so and you're because you're happy enough with, say, 25, 30 other guys. And then there's another 20 guys. You're like, you know, they're... So maybe there's like, there's 20, 25 who are like, perfect. They don't, you know, they're just fine. And there's 20 that they're fine-ish, you know, a little bit, but I haven't got the time and, you know, that that need more work. And then there's like the seven that really need my attention. Is it like those kind of core seven that you're like, you're looking at them week to week more so, if that, if that makes sense? Yeah, I'd say yes, sort of. So like I have my guys that probably get a little bit more love because I know they, that it might be a key area that they need to improve to, to see the field or an area that I know we can there's some low hanging fruit i can make 
quick changes in or someone who's super keen who I know is going to come ask me anyway. So I better be ready to, to have an answer for them. Um, but I do try and like, I try and get eyes on all the footage that we have, but it's just then the level of depth. It might, I might just watch the slow-mo or take when someone's running at top speed, it might be 10 seconds total time. And I might be like, yeah, cool. Quickly roll it back. Yeah. Right. Move on. Um, but yeah, I would say I devote maybe two hours on a down day to going through footage um, and like getting my messages and analyzing. Uh, so that would be, but that'd be inclusive of watching the footage, clipping it up, clipping up the message, doing any analysis that I need to do, sending it to the player. Um, but sometimes that changes again. Like, but yeah, that, that would be as part of my workflow for the week. That would be something I try and devote that time to. Um, but yeah, like once you see this footage over and over again, yeah, you build up like shortcuts where you're like, yeah, he's going to move like this. I've already said that message or yeah, something isn't quite right here. That's maybe one for down the line or hmm, this is a player I haven't really worked with before. This is something that I might maybe need to pay a bit more attention to. Let's watch it a few more times. Right. Let's clip it up. Let's use an analogy. Let's okay. How And I probably spend more of my time actually now, like trying to construct the message I send to a player. So it's not just here's your footage. Here's a word vomit of what I'm thinking. It's then like, okay, all right, what's the action? What's the thing I want to draw their attention to? What's their work on? How are they going to get better at doing it? What are we going to do with them? So I'm like laying out that, the sort of the path for them to be successful. Okay, we're going to work on this. This is why this is going to help. I need you to focus on this. Cool. I might then, it might be information. Sometimes it might be someone where I'm like, okay, I've, I've already coached them a fair bit what are your thoughts here or which clip is better? Well, I'm, I'm like a clip last week, a guy, again, the guy who's running with loads and loads of tension and I need to take that out of the system. Um, and it, we've made loads of improvements, but he went back to bad habits uh, last week. And I just sent him an overlay with two, two footage. And I was like, which one's better? And he was like, top. And I'm like, on WhatsApp, why? He's like, I'm way more relaxed on the, on the, on the top one compared to the bottom one. I'm like, exactly. Bottom one was from this week. Okay, what can we do better? Yeah, I know. Like, I, I just, like, I wanted to, I've been running PBs and I just saw the line. I really wanted to strain and I was I was overreaching. I'm like, okay, yeah, perfect. You've said overreaching. Overreaching is like casting out. That's going to put more strain on your hamstrings, which increases the risk of injury, which you've had this injury before. You don't want that. So that's why it's important why we focus on doing this. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'll be better next week. Perfect. Like that, that's and some learning has occurred there. So it'll be things like that, that I'm trying to construct a message that's able to have impact. So I don't just get like yared off, like, cool, thanks. Thanks for the input. And then they just leave it. Um, like I want to try and have impact. So that takes up a little bit more of the time. And it might be like uh, last week I had a guy um, running with a banana back position. So then I had to like screenshot the picture of him, freeze frame it, actually go on Instagram so I can use a GIF uh, have a banana screenshot that picture of his back with a banana on it and then share airdrop it to myself to share it to WhatsApp and be like, look, this is you with a banana back. We don't want this position. He laughs at it. It's hopefully very visual. It's very memorable for him. He then now knows when I say banana back, he's not like, yeah, I kind of get you. He sees himself running with this like comedy banana on himself. It's like, right, exactly. Now, now hopefully the, the, that learning has maybe been solidified. It's a sort of deeper level of learning. Um, 
so yeah it'll be things like that that take up my time um just making sure that i'm, I'm nailing that message and it's getting across um but yeah I, I, w- I would spend usually two hours again that that differentiates sometimes if i'm full-on nausing i can lock myself into the matrix and i'm doing loads and other times i'm like you know what actually let's back off here maybe i, I quickly scan through the footage or download it add it to the server so i can come back to it but i might not look at it that week um yeah just dependent on on yeah my workflow really and and, and those bits yeah two yeah. two hours is still like I, that's still a sufficient amount like a lot of time like i was kind of i thought you were going yeah i probably spend maybe an hour a week like two hours is still still quite quite a, quite a lot of time so that's you're definitely putting in the the hours to attain a bit more mastery Okay, so just uh, wrap up with a few more questions, Peter. I re- really appreciate your time so far and, and the insights you've you provided. Um, just two things that came to mind while you were um, going through the whole um, your the, the whole model that you guys have at Bristol. So you have those those three buckets, and I suppose you said even there's a fourth bucket in, including the remedial group. So, you, but the three main buckets being the stiffness, the technical, and the physical with regards to booking the guys for speed work. Do do you utilize that with the agility at all? Like, do you still kind of keep a a, a bucket framework there, or is it, again is it more generalized with the whole team? Uh, it's generalized now, but certainly that's something that um, I imagine when we do our in, like whole season review. Like, usually it's dangerous when you you give us free time in the sun with nothing to do and no one to coach because then we start analyzing everything we're doing but that's certainly something that's already on my radar of like my self-evaluation of okay how can we take the program to the next level what can we do to innovate but not just for innovation's sake what's actually going to provide extra value so we're not just splitting guys off for the sake of it it's is this going to provide extra value and that that's something that's that i've toyed with a little bit um but equally because of the again answering the why of the session of that that match day minus two is maybe a little bit more psychological confidence building whilst also getting some learning and physical like outputs i think maybe a too individualistic approach you would lose that group setting where someone steps someone everyone's just like hands in the air like oh i can't believe it oh my god like i think if if we bucket the guys out too far you might lose a little bit of that and then you might lose some of the vibe of the session um but that's certainly something i would like to to look at a little bit more i know from a like testing and monitoring of change of direction and agility. I, I think philosophically, I'm still very skeptical of, of testing that. Um, so it would be hard to then maybe group guys off, but that I could, I, I could end up going through that process and, and changing my, my thought process there. But I feel sometimes that in a, in an agility setting, like no, no rep is the same. And so it becomes much, much harder to, to drill that down to, okay, like you're someone who does this or does that. Like I would almost rather it come from like uh, almost be player led or coach led where, oh, this guy always steps off of his left. All right. Well, okay. This guy, we're always going to try and if we can get you doing drills where you challenge your step off of your right. Uh, Or this guy never takes space. So he's indecisive, right? Okay. So you might be in a group who are getting exposed to a lot more outcome success perhaps rather than it being stiffness, physical or technical or whatever the groups would be. We may be more linked back from rugby and then that, and then this is me just thinking out loud. Um, but yeah, when, when it comes to agility, sometimes I, I feel like, if you haven't already guessed, I like using analogies. 
I, I liken it to um, my role there is to um, work. I like to use the, the term weapons. So like what weapons are in your arsenal when you're one-on-one with someone. And I think sometimes we can either work on sharpening the knife. So you've already got that weapon, but we're just refining it. So it might be you've got a, a left foot hesitation step and you're really good at that but we're just going to hone it so we can really, really get the defender to bite on that hesitation, or we're really going to work on the um, the lateral push-off so you get more space off of that left foot step. Or it could be the other way where rather than sharpening the knife, we're almost forging a new weapon. So you've never really ever goose-stepped, let's say, I'm just picking these completely off, off the top of my head. You never really goose-stepped before and you never really tried it. So that might be where, okay, my role is actually we're going to forge this weapon so that it's not necessarily something that you use all the time, but it's something that if the situation presents itself, you might have this now in your locker. And one of the key things that when it comes to an agility philosophy is we, we want all options on. So this is this comes from the rugby coaches that we want all options on. So run, kick, pass, carry, um, all of that is available. Um, but then one of our like main philosophies is if if you – aren't going to do it in a agility session with us where the coaches maybe aren't even there and I'm not someone that picks the team. So who cares if you fail, if you don't, if you're not confident enough to do it there, when you get to the training session, you're probably not going to do it there when the coaches are looking at you and going to give you a barking when it, if you fail, well, if you don't do it there or there, you're certainly not going to do it when it comes to game time and the situation presents itself, but there are 30,000 people watching you you're never going to use that goose step ever. Whereas in a low pressure setting at the other end of the spectrum, if we can maybe allow you to start to work on this a little bit, who knows, maybe in a training session, you might start to work on this weapon. Still not one of your major weapons, but the specific situation calls for it. You do it. That gives you the confidence maybe then that under the bright lights, all of a sudden you do this goose step that works for you and scores us a try. Um, and I, I, I look at, um, so I'm a big NFL fan. I look at a guy like Patrick Mahomes, so a quarterback. And again, I don't know how, how well you know NFL, but he's a guy who's kind of breaking the rules around like your arm angles and no look passes and stuff that you like should never have been able to to do on a field, uh, on a practice field, let alone in, in, in a game. But then you start to see videos of his training and what, what you're seeing, you're seeing him like throwing a towel practicing weird arm angles and then in training like in college you're looking at him and there's footage of him practicing no look passes and you're like well there's no wonder that he feels the confidence to do it in a game because he's actually practiced it and he's practiced the underpinning movements that underpin it like with weird angles and like no looks and all sorts in training so like i feel sometimes that's where we can add some value as snc's ap coaches where uh, if we're working with guys, there's probably less pressure. There's more scope for exploration, chance to express themselves. You want to you want to try and allow that to happen so that they then do some of the crazy stuff that like we 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 got some guys that they're capable of doing some some stuff that ever like the pundits are like oh my god that's unbelievable how has he thought of doing that that's wonderful and you're like well you see the things that they've done in training that they've worked on that they've done in their unit sessions they've done in the like maybe closed doors away from the coaches where they've experimented and they've been given that that freedom and platform to do it like that's something that i think as snc's and athletic performance coaches i think we 
have a role to play there if, if we're targeted with what we do when it comes to an agility perspective. And as long as we're knowing, okay, I, I want you to work on this and setting up a drill, constraining it in a way that they have to perhaps step off of the left or they have to have high entry speed because you've got a trailer tracking them. So they can't use sewing machine feet and try and step someone five times because they can hear the guy chasing them. So they know they have to make a decision quicker. So they've got to back their decision, one cut and go. Like that would be a constraint that you would use for that situation. It could be that like, if you're looking to do a, a hover step where they freeze in the air and they're cutting left or right, you might want to get them to hop over a low hurdle. So they're getting that float time in the air where they're aligning their limbs and maybe trying to use, trying to get them to use some deception with a head fake or shoulder roll before they plant that foot into the ground. Uh, it could be that you're then using a ball there and using that like whip where the ball comes to the side of their body and they're coiling their leg like a spring to tap down off the ground to get that bigger lateral push. Like the things like that that you could be working on, but like in the game, wow, like that's an unbelievable step to score that try or create the space for that assist. That's something that you can work on, a very, very closed skill. Um, but again, one of those weapons that, okay, might not get a lot of love in training or they might not get a lot of exposure to, to work on that, which we can may, maybe perhaps backfill some of that work. Um, great stuff, Christopher. And just as I was asking that question initially too, kind of similar along your you know, mindset as you as you started to answer the first half of that question, in terms of you know booking guys for for um change of direction agility in my head i'm like you really can't bucket guys for agility because agility by definition has an external stimulus whereas yeah. you know if you were going to quote unquote bucket people it would only have to be in that change of direction closed chain environment yeah then you could get into that discussion of you know transfer and but then like you get into that other discussion it's like because there's people like you probably have seen this over the years. Like there was this, and we spoke about this before we even started our podcast tonight. Was about like you know pendulum swinging and overswinging and that. You know we used to do all these close change change of direction drills, and then it was all like, well that doesn't transfer because you know there's no external stimulus and there's no self organization and there's no you know perception action coupling and everything that's come from the skill acquisition world, everything that's come from like the likes of Sean Mishka and you know, the repetition, that repetition. But then like, you know, you get other coaches say like, I get that 100%, I'm on board with that as well. But there still is some virtue to like low tolerance and teaching, you know, contextual drills. Well, I mean, there, you know, there's 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 virtue to like close-in drills in terms of just general conditioning of ligaments and joints and connective tissues and muscle and just basic general preparation of the body for those forces that the body will experience or is likely to experience in change of direction. And then just to give context to of like, you know, certain joint angles and shin angles and, you know, teaching players, no different to how you do a wall drill, maybe for acceleration, just, you know, contextually. So again, it, there's a time and a place uh, and, and it's all to do a context, a situation, a player. And, you know, it's, it's, it's always like, you know, just the right tool at the right time for, for a specific job. Like, so that's exactly, kind of what, exactly, what came to exactly mind. Exactly what you said, what you said there. And the, the analogy there is exactly that is why would we do like, if, if, you're down that line of thinking where everything is just emergent. Well, why would we then do any wall drills or technical sprinting work? Um, why? Because it builds the context for when the main skill comes in, you get the part whole element of it where, okay, we work on this. Now we put it into the whole skill. And like, uh, actually probably one of my, a really, really good learning moment happened for me as a coach about two months ago, uh, 
one of our players who's very, very smart. He's, he's a very good player, but he's very switched on about his own training. We were doing an agility drill. It was very open. So very down the line of like the that repetition without repetition, like very open, like whatever happens, happens. No reps the same. Like I've constrained it a little bit, but it's very open. 1v1, you do this, go here, you make a decision. That happens, this happens. And I'm trying to get guys to work on their step. But because the defender is so variable, they can't always do it. And he pulls me aside. He's like, you know what? Like, I really want to work on my step this year. But sometimes I feel like in these drills, I can't do it because if I want to work on my left foot step, but the defender is all the way over on the other side, like that's the wrong decision. And so I can't work on it. I feel sometimes I don't have the rhythm going into like the distance between the defender because that's so variable. I can't get the timing and I can't get the like step pattern. Is there any chance we could do some more like clothes work? And I was like, you know, that's actually a really good point. And he, he actually, uh, he sent me, he um, sent me a guy. I had no idea that like Instagram guy, it's a Japanese guy works on like, he's like the, the step guy. Um, and like, he's like, Oh yeah, I've been following this. And at like, first you're like, okay. Usually when players send you down the Instagram route, you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to have to debunk some myths in a couple, a uh, couple hours time, but let me have a look. And I looked at it and I was like, you know what? There, there is some, like I can take some learning from this where, like this is a guy who plays touch and he's like unreal at stepping, but like he's teaching these young, like Japanese kids that are like three years old, the pattern of how to step before they even have, okay, what's the defender? What's the speed that I'm going at? And that's something that I've taken very recently into my practice of like the flow of the, of the session. I still might finish with the very open, like perception action coupling, where's the decision, who knows what the rep's going to look like but it started with something that's maybe a little bit more closed, a little bit more down the line of, like, it's not doing ladder drills, but it's right. Okay. Might be coming into this cone. I want you to lateral push, go. And you're repping it out. Now you repped it out, but I want to add an element of specificity, I guess. I want you to now use some deception. So you're still jumping over the hurdle, stepping off your right foot, but do something to maybe think that you might be cutting left. And then the, the analogy that I, I tell a lot of the guys is I, I want you to like to write a story. So tell me a story with your body that you're going left. And then like, again, a lot, a lot of our guys um, watch Game of Thrones. I, I want you to and I say like, okay, write me the story, then hit me with the red wedding. So like out of nowhere, I think you're cutting off your left foot and then bam, you've gone off of your right. So that, that's how I, I utilize that as like, okay, tell me that story, get me to go one way as a defender and then hit me with the cliffhanger and go the other. And so then that's something that the, the lads have used like, Oh, what was your story like? And you're like, Oh mate, that was fucking like primary school, like ABC book. I could read you like a book. And then you get other people who are like, Oh yeah, you've done a really, really good job. And to take the game of Thrones analogy even further, like, Oh, you were really good to the sixth season, but then you're ending with shit. So that might be where they've, they fooled you really, really well and they've put their foot in the ground but then they haven't taken the space once they've created it and they've actually allowed the defender to come back. And um, yeah, like that, that's the level of analogy that we go down. Sometimes we, I do tend to lose the group when I get too far um, down that way. But yeah, like things like that, I'm like, wow, that's actually some really good learning. It's come from a player who's aware and actually, yeah, there is a place for some of the more closed work. And like you said, that the pendulum can swing too far the other way where, no, like I just give them a ball and then some constraints of you play in a 10 by 10 and lads, you just solve it and good things will happen. Like it, learning doesn't happen like that. Like, don't get me wrong. Like there's an element of that, but you sometimes need to come out and provide the context. Like you said, um, that, that a drill or something more closed can provide.
Yeah, it's kind of, again, as you were speaking there, what, what kind of came back to my mind was that, you know, the old sort of uh, cycle or model of unconscious incompetence to, you know, conscious incompetence to, you know, to, to conscious competence, to unconscious competence. It's kind of like, you know, that sort of whole model came around for a reason. You know, yeah. so, we, you know, like, so it kind of brought me, in my head, that's kind of, in a way, you could fit within that sort of model, you know, okay, close trained, close change change ch- chain close <laughs> chain sorry that tongue twisted there close chain um i suppose they're not really again agility means there's a stimulus but change of direction drills. when i say in my head when i say change direction it means that it's it's usually like a closed chain drill because yeah. there's no stimulus to it but like using that again as your sort of contextual you know making it a little more sort of um conscious more sort of cerebral you know it's because and it's you probably happen at a slower sort of because again it's pre-planned where you're going but again just using that as a contextual tool and then i'd be very similar along your thoughts that you know finishing things then with something that is more realistic to the chaotic environment of the sport so now it's going to be more open chain now it's quote unquote true agility now it's more about self-organization and and emergent movement but again you know i've utilized the whole sort of tools that were in that toolbox i'm not saying now that old thing piece of shit it's all about this now like as you said like it's i'm exactly where you're at too is that like yeah just fucking go at it self-organization it's just chaos look at their <laughs> they're just learning because again we, we it, it, it could make you like very lazy because like it's kind of again as the pendulum has swung it's like well you know learning's meant to be really messy and chaotic it's like yes to a point but like don't get absolutely <laughs> don't get like uh what's 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 the word i'm thinking of like you know almost like uh you know dangerous basically as a coach you know get letting it get too sort of you know like you, you can nearly go down that road so much that you're like you know i think that's negligible that's why you, you don't really like getting negligible nearly with your coach yeah. and be like oh this, you know this is what learning's meant to be like so you get to two points it's meant to be challenged and quote unquote messy because that is how we do learn we're sort of on that what's they call it proximity to failure you know it needs to be just sort of on that edge your abilities to keep growing you know but uh yeah, yeah i'm exactly where you're at with all that uh final question for you um just regards to your micro cycle setup, um, so you, again we've all we have the preseason, we have in season. With that preseason micro cycle setup, like, um, it like the the speed and agility work. So like, how is that kind of programmed throughout the week? So I'll just give you maybe a an example, and then you can it might make the question a bit more um make more sense. Like you know, like a typical schedule might be like say like a high low model where like monday is acceleration day and then wednesday could be more a max velocity day and then friday could be another sort of you know acceleration but you might accelerate out longer and then sort of your low days might be that might be your change of direction days and with some tempo type work or that that's one potential template you know something like that yeah. so how, how does that look like you guys so kind of what you said a little bit is similar so we we would go high low in preseason so we would go almost to the point that Monday would be high on pitch. Tuesday is low where they wouldn't do anything. So we would do no speed, no agility. They would do, they would lift in the gym. They would do some yoga. They would swim and they'd have like rugby install learning meetings. So like off feet in a boardroom or at most it would be a walkthrough or like micro kind of units. Wednesday would be high again. Thursday would be low Friday high. How speed fits into that is Monday and Wednesday would be our main delivery days. And then Friday would be a more condition focused day. So that would be where if guys haven't picked up 
a max velocity stim, we might top guys up. Or if we were trying to maybe expose guys, not necessarily to the top end speed, but just the volume of high speed running that above seven meters per second running distance, um, we would get a lot more of that on the Friday, but that would t- take care of itself in our condition games, in the rugby and trying to make constraints to allow that to happen. So one of the ways we might do that, uh, if we're playing like drop-off touch, we'd start guys on the sideline and then the referee would be in the middle with the ball and then we get the guys to sprint and the team that sprinted the most gets the ball to start. So then instantly you get a pretty decent sprint hit, five, six, seven, eight, however many times you play the game. And then you're picking up your volume of top end speed exposure and perhaps under a bit of fatigue alongside all what they might do in the rugby. Um, so yeah, Monday and Wednesday would be our main targeted days. And we have flip-flop between like the usual, like Monday maybe being more acceleration focused, Wednesday being more max velocity focused or the weather, other way around. Um, this year, we delved into a bit of both and it was maybe less down to the actual physical stimulus and more down to the educational theme. So it was more the education fitted what the session was. So if we were doing a lot of postural based work and it was maybe around hip positioning and torso position, that might lend itself more to doing max velocity type, um, high knee runs, dribbles, high knee run, um, med ball knee punch runs, um, scissor bleeds, dribble bleeds, those type of things, which then lend itself to maybe more of your coaching time is spent doing max velocity. Whereas if the theme was force and like violence into the ground and things like that, that leads itself maybe more to acceleration. So then we might then spend a little bit more time on half kneeling accelerations, accelerations off the floor, resisted speed work, hip projections, wall drills that are linked more towards, um, yeah, the like big splits of the thighs and the arms uh, and those kinds of things. Um, I, I still probably, if you put a gun to my head, I wouldn't be able to decide really like which one's best. Like I think I've toyed with maybe coming off of two days off. That's probably the freshest they are. So there's less risk of maybe max velocity running if you're wanting guys to really open up. But then you're like, well, maybe they haven't cleared off anything that like you've not seen them for two days. So there's maybe more of a risk if you're doing that earlier on in the day. Um, you might want to do it once they've got some running meters into their legs, perhaps on the Wednesday. Um, so yeah, I, I, if I was pushed, I probably couldn't give you an answer. Um, but yeah, we, we would probably let the educational theme drive where we would bias a little bit more of the work. Um, and then that would also come into like if where you fit within the buckets. So if you were more of a physical guy who acceleration was your big need, you probably spend more of your coaching time working on that than maybe someone who technically at top end speed was really poor. They might get more exposure to the postures and then get exposure to actually running at top end speed so they can input hopefully some of that technical um, improvement in the actual skill that we're, that we're trying to improve. Um, it's a tough question probably, I would say, um, in terms of yeah the, the, the cycling of it. Um, I, I, I would plan usually like preseason fell where we had four weeks, a down week and four weeks. So you've got two distinct blocks that then guide where your themes are guide. Okay. What sort of stimulus you're trying to give guys. So the first four weeks we were building to max velocity running rather than full noise in week one. Um, so that would take care of itself in the, in the early stages. And then the latter stages, it's maybe 
okay, we know they're tolerant. We can expose them to it. But now, because we're getting close to playing or playing preseason games, can we make it more contextual? So the acceleration work was maybe more contextual, whereas in the first block, it was very, very, like if you went to Altis, you would see very similar things that we were doing there, whereas the second block is maybe more sports-specific, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Pete, that was an absolute whirlwind of knowledge bombs. I really, really appreciate it. It's exactly... You know, if you had said to me, how would you like this conversation to go in, in terms of just how deep I would have liked Pete to have gone with this, this is exactly what I was hoping for. It's uh, perfect. And I was saying to you, I don't know if I said to you offline as we were hopping in between, coming back on and off, but um, this is exactly the route I want you to go just to lay it all out. It's perfect. And I could honestly, I could stay talking to you for and listening to you for hours because it's I love this stuff, man. It's uh, It brings me back to my, my days when I first kind of really came across Alvar Meals programming so it was kind of like 2010 just tell a little story here this is my usual little like uh two or three or four or five minutes where I just talk because uh I, I used to get loads of feedback from people who listen to go yeah you great podcast but sometimes you talk too much and I'm like it's my podcast fuck you <laughs> <laughs> but uh so so here's the, the the usual uh five minutes of Robbie rambling but in 2010, I went to perform better and the Rhode Island one and uh, Alvar Meal was presenting. And I'd never, I always kind of knew who Al was, but I never knew much really about him as a coach. And I was with a couple of really good friends of mine and we sat down. And to be honest, I always say this, it was like, it always felt like Al was like this just like token sort of presentation. No, he's, you know, he's an old man now and. You know, he he was so uh, you know who Al, Al is. So yeah, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was yeah. a Chicago the most successful uh, SNC coach uh, there is, isn't it? He won NBA titles, NFL titles. Not that he's the one dunking or scoring touchdowns, yeah, but still, yeah. I've been, been around success long enough. Yeah, it leaves clues. And he'd be the very first to admit that he'd be like, I had nothing to do with that success. I was just there. I was like, yeah, whatever. Okay, like you know, he's very humble about it. But so yeah, he won a Super Bowl with the 49ers in '81. And then he was with the Bulls when they went on their six championships in eight years in the 90s. So I was aware who he was and all this, but never didn't know much about his system, if you like. And I swear to God, this one hour presentation. So to sort of summarize, Al basically took Charlie France's model and and modified it for, for sports. like, And he just like he gave out the everything and it was just the, the logic behind it. And, you know, I was a young coach at the time and. I was very influenced by Mike Boyle and don't get me wrong, Coach Boyle's system is still excellent, great, but I just thought the way Al had adapted Charlie's model, like the way he he sort of programmed his, first of all, his assessment model made so much sense. At that time, it was just real, like there was, you know, like Mike Boyle, like he was really like, oh, we just do accumulation phases and intensification phases. And, and listen, that works because Mike has a specific model. He just, you know, he mainly works with high school kids and he does a 10 week block at NBSC. And it's been, I don't think anyone could criticize it because of the success that business has had and how much that business has grown in the model that it does. But just Al's, Al was the first person like, he was kind of like, what I do is, like, it's so simple when you think about it. He goes, what I do is, um, I assess the athlete and then I go, Oh, here's your most glaring weaknesses. And we go after those. <laughs> so like, and he, and like, he basically has that athletic heart, you know, that athletic development hierarchy. And, you know, he's like, so at the bottom, you know, I've kind of modified it over the years. So like, 
I have on hierarchy, but it's basically his that I modified. So at the bottom, my one would be like, you know, first thing is like lifestyle. So where's your sleep at and your nutrition and hydration and, you know, your relationships with people and sort of that sort of more holistic looking things. And then it's like your movement quality. Uh, and then Al's one started the work capacity. So he's like, you know, just general work capacity, aerobic indicators, whatever. And then it's, you know, strength and then power and then speed, you know. So each quality sort of is the foundation for each succeeding quality. And I was just kind of like, you know, I do an assessment on that. And then it's just like, where are they most efficient? And we go after that because he's like, I only have like six to eight weeks of players. He's like, I can't follow this old school hypertrophy and then strength and then power. And he's like, first of all, that's redundant because he's like, if you have someone who doesn't need hypertrophy or hasn't got a strength deficit, but has some rate of force development issues. And he was also kind of the first person who's like, and by the way, with power, it's not just power. He's like, there is explosive strength. He's like, within power, you have explosive strength. You have elastic reactive strength capabilities. He's like, like, there's all these subcategories. And just like how he programmed and just then his model of like, the sh- how he utilized short to long in terms of, he was very clever. He was like, for weeks one and two, we just did zero to 10. And then for weeks three and four, we went 10 to 20. And then for weeks you know, five and six. So he just built it out and built it out. And then also too, when it got closer to the actual start of competition, he was like, he took away two of his speed days and replaced with a lactic capacity days. And then just had one hit of speed where he did kind of, it was like a hybrid of agi- of an agility acceleration max V. So he, so maybe now on the Monday, Wednesday, they were a lactic capacity and he was just hitting the Wednesday to maintain that, that sort of dosage of speed each week. Whereas, before it was more like pure speed like monday wednesday was acceleration days and wednesday was your max fee and he he was the first person i heard that he's like on low days that's where we do our agility work because he was like you know we don't we're not going full out on it the rest periods are a little bit shorter so it nearly comes a little bit of a work capacity thing but they're still hitting the angles and all that so sorry that's my ramble there but he was the first person i was like fuck that training system was great and like i remember like i have the perform better like manual from that from 2010 still and i was like working through working through it and I was like, I got questions to ask him here that I want to ask him. And I literally just, I had his email from the slides and I emailed him. And like, the, Al's a sweetheart. Like, and, uh, you know, so I'm there emailing Al Vermeil. And in my head, I'm like, this is Al Vermeil, like legend. And he just goes, Coach, what's your number? I'll call you. And I was like, I live in Ireland. And he goes, Yeah, so what? I'll call you. And I was like, <laughs> Al Vermeil's going to call me. Like, I, <laughs> I should be calling him. And he just rings me and he's just there. And like he asked me more, he's just the type of guy. He's like, so you know, tell me. And he was like, well, what do you think? And I was like, I don't know. You're the fucking genius here. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking in my head, like obviously I didn't say it to him, but uh, he was just a gentleman. Like so, and ever since that, I've been really good friends with him. Like I actually spent two days at his at his home in 2015. I went to visit him with a friend. Yet. So he like spent two days. He is in Cincinnati, and he brought brought me and a friend out for dinner. And you know, two days in his house. We like sat like in his office in his house, and he was just like. He, he just gave us everything he's like what do you want there's like your mind and he's like okay yeah. <laughs> so it was just amazing like but that that was the first guy that really sort of i just the way he brought charity's model and and sort of modified it scene sports and just that micro cycle he set out and that's still influenced me to this day like so that's my little spiel there to show you that story. like that message there again the simplicity is the, is the key and i think within within the speed realm it's starting to change now with some of the people that work within speed, but speed was always viewed. And I had this when I was trying to learn about it. It's like got that mystical quality where like only the track coaches know how to deliver it. And you've got to have this amazing coaching eye to spot what's going on. And if you don't, then, well, you're not a good speed coach. It's like in reality, the simple things done well will get most of the results. And like the same as a gym program, like again, progressive overload is pretty much undefeated 
um doing the basics is undefeated and it's the same for speed like you can do all of the fancy stuff but like it still comes back to and like I, i've I'm someone that likes the fancy stuff and likes the data and the sports scientist in me wants to delve way, way deep. But I, I always try and check myself and be like, okay, what's the end user getting from this? So like, what, what's the player getting from this? What, what's the message I'm sending to them? Is this actually relevant to what, what's going to make them change? And what's the key things that I need to to say to them or have in my model or my system that's going to get me the results. So like that, that's why, yeah, like, the the technical models that, that that we follow uh yeah for from acceleration it's projection attack and back that's it there are two two key tenants at top speed it's about hammer high or front side position which is unlocked by your pelvic position and then stay relaxed like everything else is noise around it but those are our key things that we hammer over and over again and all of the drills all of the technical work provide context towards that model of success and in the same way as like again like yeah work on someone's deficiencies find what they are go after them easy (laughs) brilliant brilliant pete really appreciate it i'll I'll, uh wrap up here now and uh, i'll just get you to um give your detail well you don't give as much detail as you want but if anyone listens this wants to reach out connect with you is there is there a best way of doing that where can people find out more about you yeah, probably the best way is is on Twitter. Um, I post some stuff on there sometimes. Um, but yeah, that's at Pete Burridge, P-U-R-R-I-D-G-E. Um, or you can email me if it's a long form conversation. Um, I think my email is on the Bristol Bears website or just contact me on Twitter because I'll, I'll message, message you back and I can just send you my email there if you want to send a long message. But uh, yeah, that's P Burridge at Bristol Bears rugby.com i think but yeah just just hit me up on twitter and uh yeah happy to try and answer some questions again i'm i'm not like i'm higher like high up on the sort of imposter syndrome like feel like i've been shoehorned into this somehow but like i i still don't feel like an expert like there's there's loads of people out there the the guys that i mentioned the jonas's the les spellman's the dan Fafs of the world Stu mcmillan's those, those guys cam joss all, all of all of them who are like the real real pros at this i'm just someone that works in team sport with a passion in in it and seemingly been getting some getting some love so i'm just happy to share my thoughts and like i'm happy to come on and like yeah talk like similar likewise to you like i I'd happily talk for much much longer if uh um i wasn't getting called to um make some food for my wife <laughs> shit i better let you go sorry man no no <laughs> <laughs> she's probably like come on so you mean you mean too nice you mean too nice but I, I listen i'll link all that up in the show notes and uh just if any of the guys you you, you name there jonas and and the uh, Stu and dan and cam and, and anyone else this and les any of those guys listen they're all bluffers i <laughs> know <laughs> all absolutely amazing practitioners but listen no different to myself yourself those guys would probably even tell you we all go have that imposter syndrome or for whatever reason Brett Bartholomew calls it imposter phenomenon he's like it's not a syndrome it's a phenomenon so whatever whatever people want to call it imposter syndrome phenomenon Come here, I'll, I'll, I'll link all that up in the show notes your Twitter and, and your email and uh, anything else and for anyone listening definitely do follow Pete on, on Twitter because um, that's essentially how I came across your stuff like it was the two speed videos you put up and I was like I just I remember I came across it and I was like oh what's this and I was like holy shit this is very impressive and I was like these are rugby players. I was like, who is this guy? And I was like, I like what I see. I like what I see. <laughs> so well done, man. I, I've well done on everything you're doing so far. And please do keep putting out information. It's, it's, it's a really uh, great service to the field. Cheers. Thank you.
Okay, so for everyone listening, until next time, take care, be well, and stay strong. Thank you.